You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. There is a story. It's an ancient story. And it's a story that you'll find in almost any culture that you care to name. It's a story that's told again and again throughout the world in so many different languages. And it goes like this. There was a great king. And the king ruled justly and wisely. And as the king ruled, uh, the people flourished. It was a time of plenty, a time of peace, a, a, a time when everyone could be what they were meant to be. But then the king had to go away. And times of trouble came. But there will come a day when the king will return and will set all things right again. It's a story that's told in every culture in lots and lots of different ways. My own heritage, the stories are things like Robin Hood, where the good king has gone away. The bad king is in place, the kingdom's not flourishing, everything's wrong and not how it should be. But there will come a day when the good king returns. Or uh, there's King Arthur. King Arthur, the great king who uh, reigns in, in Britain, and although his reign wasn't entirely wonderful, when it said... Uh, on his tombstone is written the once and future king. He will return and the kingdom will flourish and all will be as it should be. It's the same story. Uh, A much more up-to-date kind of version of it, or a more recent one at least, is one you might have read or one you might have watched in a movie uh, in The Return of the King, The Lord of the Rings. There's a great king who's in the north, but he will come and set all things right. The hands of the king will be the hands of a healer. And when his reign begins, the golden age begins. It's a story that is told over and over again in all sorts of cultures. But why? Why do we have this fascination with kingship. We've recently got ourselves, uh, for many of us, a king for the first time in our our living memory. And what pageantry there was there. Uh, Even with the Queen's death, some estimates put her funeral at four billion viewers. There's a fascination for royalty. But we also long for not just royalty, we long for strong political leaders. We, we think if only we had this great leader, a leader we could trust, a leader we could respect, a leader who could lead us on into the great future that we want. We long for it. But why do human beings, no matter where you're from, long for the good and wise king who will bring peace and plenty? Why? Well, the answer that the Bible gives is that somewhere deep in our hearts, somewhere in, uh, in the heart of humanity, in, in who we are, there is a memory of a great king. Uh, a king who ruled with power and wisdom and compassion and love and we were created to submit to that king, to adore and to worship that king, to perfectly flourish under that king. Uh, That's what the Bible says. God is the king behind every king. He's the story behind every story. But the story of the Bible is that uh, 
Actually, we didn't want the king. Uh, We want our own autonomy. We want to live our own way, and so we rejected the king. But because we're created for that relationship, the thing is that even when we reject the king, we have to put something else in its place. We have to replace it with something that we can look to uh, for our safety or assurance, our self, sense of self-worth, uh, uh, look to and ask for it to bring us that sense of flourishing. See, uh, over the last few months, we've been looking at a time in Israel's history when actually they did exactly that. God was their king as a people. They rejected God as king. They placed King Saul on the throne. And the idea was that he would bring the peace, prosperity, the wonder that they longed for. That's what Israel has been doing. But actually we do the same. We find someone or something that will save us. We look to something or someone to give us hope. We look for a king that we will adore. It might be a political leader or it could be in a relationship, romantic or otherwise. Or during a pandemic, I think one of the things we did was look to the medical experts to, to save us and, and rule us. We need a king and if we don't have the true king, we'll make another and we'll put it in its place. And it or they, in the end, will let us down. Israel had King Saul, but he wasn't the answer. He was meant to deal with the Philistine threat, but he actually died fighting it. Uh, Since the last time we checked in with the story, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this story as it goes. And the last time we looked, Saul was hunting David down. He was jealous of him and wanted to kill him. But since then, uh, Saul and Jonathan, his son, have died in battle with the Philistines. Uh, David has become king of the southern tribe uh, and then a civil war has broken out and just as our reading comes, uh, the king of the northern 11 tribes has been assassinated and now they all want David as their king. They had King Saul but he, he died. In our reading today, Israel turns to King David And the 12 tribes of Israel gather and he's proclaimed king. Perhaps he will be the answer to our hopes, they think. And in fact, our reading ends with those very words. He, He grew in greatness. He was the great king. And for a while, he is. He defeats the Philistines, he attacks the Jebusites, he takes Jerusalem. And so they have this new, strong capital And this new successful king and peace and prosperity comes. He's the king. Actually, the playbook that leaders today are still reading from. It's interesting today, this this very day, Xi Jinping is going to be in all likelihood confirmed as president for another five years of China. And he's telling the story that he's the ruler that can restore China to its rightful place as the great power of the world. President Putin's telling the same story. He's telling the story that he's the great king. He'll restore Russia to its former glory. He will make his country great again, and so he invades Ukraine. And we can see how that's unravelling for him. But, of course, it's not 
just other nations, our own politicians, the Western politicians, are telling the very same story as well. They're all telling the same story. I will make America great again. It's the same story. Well, for King David, it also begins to unravel. David, for all his power and the peace that he brings, he's not the totally good and wise and uh, glorious king that they long for and that they need. We're not going to look at it in our series, but if you may know the rest of the story and how this goes, David uh, sees Bathsheba, he commits adultery with her, he sends her husband off to be murdered, and that has massive implications both for the disintegration of the kingdom and of his family. He's not the great king they're looking for. David's not the answer to the longing that is in the human heart that needs to be answered. No, they had to wait a much longer time for that, a thousand years after David. In our gospel reading, another group of 12 is gathering around another leader and they're proclaiming him king. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the anointed one. Messiah is another word for a king. Saying you're the king. The 12 tribes gathered around David. The 12 disciples are gathered around Jesus and they proclaim him as the king, the king in the line of David. And although Jesus is like David, you see it over and over again, the parallels drawn throughout the Bible. There's King David, the great and glorious king, but then there's Jesus, the greater and more glorious king. Although Jesus is like him, he's more than David. After David's proclaimed king, he goes off and he conquers Jerusalem. Well, King Jesus would go to Jerusalem, yes, and he would win a great victory, yes. But it is in a very different way because he's a very different king. David would bring peace by force, by military victory. Jesus' kingship is every bit as powerful, in fact, infinitely more so, but comes through self-sacrifice. A rule that so seeks the good of those rules that he's willing to spend himself in love for his people. This is a different kind of leader. This is a different kind of king. A king you can trust. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed. He's proclaimed king. And like David, he then needs to go to Jerusalem, but that's really where the similarities end. When David comes against Jerusalem, he's taunted. They say, even the blind and the lame could defend this place against you. And so David attacks and defeats these blind and lame who are defending Jerusalem. Well, Jesus comes to Jerusalem. What does he do? He heals the blind and the lame. He's 
the king. His kingdom's not one of force, but of healing. The hands of the king are the hands of the healer. It puts right the pains and the problems of this world. And David comes to Jerusalem and he conquers by force. Jesus comes to Jerusalem and dies outside the walls of Jerusalem. Why? Because although we long for that perfect king, although we long for a leader who will make things right again, as things should be, we also hate the idea of not being king ourselves. It's, it's like this battle in the human heart. On the one hand, we want that. On the other hand, we're saying, no, I, I want life my way. I will not bend my knee to anyone. I am the captain of my own ship. I am my own. It's the great call of our society and the ringing rebellion of the human heart. I am the captain of my soul. You can't tell me what to do. Anyone who's been a child or has tried to raise one will know that that's just in the human heart. You can't tell me what to do. I don't need a king. I don't want a king. And so when the king came, what did we do? We killed him. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And it's not just the bad people who did it. It was the religious people who did it. We all did it. We want a king, but we don't. We say to God, we don't actually want you to rule over us. You know, I'll speak to the religious people here. That's kind of all of us, I guess, most of us. But you might be happy with the idea of a God of love who makes no demands upon your life, uh, a, a God who won't get in the way of you living your life in whatever way you would like to live it. You're happy to come along to church and to praise that, that God of love and you just live how you live. But that's not, that's not the biblical God. It's not even a loving God. Because when you're in a world of people doing whatever they want, what happens? Well, you live in a world where people are being hurt and degraded and damaged. You live in a world of war. You live in a world where leaders take advantage of people. You live in a world where you're hurt and damaged and you hurt and damage others. That's what a world of doing what you like is. That's why we need a king. But not an oppressive king. No, we need to actually need a king who's going to have us and our good at the heart of his kingdom. We need a king, a good and wise and loving and perfect ruler who brings peace and healing and wholeness and hope. But when he came, we killed him. But this is the great and wonderful thing. It wasn't the end. The sentence didn't end there. Jesus didn't put a full stop after and he will be killed. And in the death of Jesus, God was doing something glorious and actually it's at the very heart of what we just celebrated in baptism. The rebellion against the king was finally put down. But not by coming and crushing his enemies, 
but by taking the punishment himself, by bearing on himself the rebellion of humanity, by dealing once and for all with the problems and the pain of this world. And once he had it, he rose again to a new and indestructible life. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. You know, Jesus, and this is the great message of Christianity, Jesus is alive today and he's king today. And in his kingship he has come and he has made it possible for our sins to be washed away, as we saw in the baptism there, for our life to be renewed, for our hope to be given, to give us freedom under his rule. That's the great irony of it. We think going under King Jesus is going to be a whole lot of things that we can't do. Actually, coming under King Jesus, it's the only path to true freedom and wholeness. The king who loves you so much died for you. Well, today we saw Karen and we saw Jack baptised. And really, that was an expression of submission to the king. They were saying, I'm submitting to the king. And you've heard what a difference that has made in their lives already. And, you know, it's like all the old stories because it is the old story. It's the oldest story. It's the story This king will return. And when he does return, all will be set right. But when he comes, he will bring the fullness of what he achieved upon the cross. And those little glimpses of his glory and his kingdom that we see in the hearts of Jack and Karen and and in our own hearts as we see God working in us, those things will burst into flame and into their fullness and will live in a kingdom and in a world where the pain and the problems are gone. That's the glorious hope that we have. And on that day, Jesus will come and he will come to judge all things. And on that day, I guess the big question is, will you still be in rebellion to that king? Uh, Psalm number two says, there's no refuge from him. If you come to him on that day and you're in rebellion, there's no refuge from him. But Psalm two says there's refuge in him. If you come and trust in him, submit to the king and discover actually that it brings freedom and wholeness and is actually what at the centre of our hearts we long for to be fully who we are. And to see him as king. Do you follow the king? Do you follow the king? Well, you can today. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we uh, come before you and in thanks and praise, honouring you as our king. And we thank you that in your kingship you come and you love us so much that you died for us that our sins were taken away, that you renew us and refresh us. You've dealt with all the things that harm and hurt that we've we've done and that we've experienced. And Father, we, we long for that day when your son will return and that will come in all its fullness. Perhaps there are people here today who've, who've never bended the knee to Jesus, never said, I want you as king. 
And maybe during this service, you've, maybe during the baptism, you felt something tugging at your heart. Well, I want to give you the opportunity, if you would like to, to bow the knee to King Jesus today. I'm just going to leave a pause. And just in the quiet of your heart, you might like to do that. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a while and maybe today you begin to think, have I been really following him as king? Well, today is an opportunity to come afresh and bow before the king. I'll pause if you'd like to do that. Just in the quiet of your heart. And for all of us, every day is a day where we come before the king and we bow before him and discover that he lifts us up. He gives us joy and freedom and an eternal hope. And so we praise you, our Lord and King, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.